Hello, Cycle Cross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 279 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, it's uh, me and Michael. Zach's taking this week off. He's got things to do, and they're uh, accommodating my schedule by uh, recording early in the morning for them to meet my afternoon schedule here in Europe. Uh, so Zach wasn't able to make it, so it's just me and Michael. We're talking about Tabor and also uh, just uh, about my travels uh, around here and then the upcoming races next weekend. Before we get into it, um, just to give you all a little uh, heads up on what I've been up to, I, I started my blog up again uh, at cxers.com. So uh, Zach has been churning out the content, great content. I hope you all read the uh, story on Jay Money, super cool, uh, at the uh, CXRs Bulletin. Uh, and I've been uh, writing about what's going on here in Europe with the CXRs Devo team and just myself traveling around. And that's at cxrs.com. So if you haven't been there in a while, and there was no reason for you to be. I hadn't been updating it for over a year, but um, I'm back to getting some stuff up there, getting some new photos uh, that I can display larger on that site, and would love for you all to check it out. All right, that's it. That's that's all I got to plug about me. Uh, let's get on to this show about Tabor and the upcoming Mas Mechlin. We don't really talk about that. I just like saying it. And uh, King CX and everything going on in the cyclocross world. It's Michael. It's me. It's episode 279 of Cyclocross Radio. And we're doing it right now. We are back in the media pit. Or maybe I'm back in the media pit. And now Zach's gone so we're you know getting getting a full michael is the constant michael is is the one who's just like the media pit constant at this this point uh how, how how's it going there in the united states of america michael it's good it's just the light is just coming over the horizon it was a bit dark and cold this morning i i've but i've been hanging out in the pit keeping the fires warm keeping keeping the cyclocross stoke alive Sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm in a in an apartment in Isigem in Belgium, which uh so this is this is the it's it's fun to go through the so th- there there are sort of like these dorm style apartments here. You can see the bunk bed in the in the back and uh you know here with the CXR's Devo team, but it's 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 fun to sort of see just the remnants of cycling pass when you go through they have every apartment comes with a big garage that's just a service course you know to work on bikes and it has a compressor in there and you know power washer and all this stuff so you can sort of keep all the bikes and all that stuff down there and then you know have the living quarters up here but uh you know i know like the last time i was here you'd see like a uvolo stuff that had sort of been left in the corner and maybe some rally stuff over here and years ago this was the kind of the main uh uh place when usa cycling predominantly for the road team would come over this is this is where they would stay so it's kind of a lot of a lot of history here in uh in Isagam in this building i mean that sounds kind of fun uh and it sounds like you gotta go to this week something a bit historical you know we all have our week our weekly cross practices where we get together with our friends you kind of went to a little bit an event a little bit bigger than a weekly cross practice, uh, but I want to hear about that before we start the show. Or yeah, but you know, it, it, it in all honesty, it's just that it's weekly cross practice. It's it's no more than that. It's just that in this part of Belgium, and actually not really that close to us. So it's uh, it's kind of northeast of where we're located, closer to Antwerp, uh, is the Lichtart. Um, it's actually, it's the, uh, Florial Kempen, which is a campground. It's this camp campground in the, uh, town of Lictard. And it's the place where you'll see, you know, if you watch like on YouTube and you see these practice videos from all of the cyclocross teams going back, you know, to Telenet and everyone else, they're all in this kind of forest area with the sand and everything else and these trails. And that's, that's what, um, the CXR's Devo team got invited to go and, uh, train with, uh, Sven's team. So they were out there training with the Lions, which was really cool doing their normal Wednesday cyclocross practice. And, 
it's it's a great venue, and but it's just like it's not like venues like this don't exist in the U.S. Although it's kind of it's got everything you need. It's got sand. It's got elevation. It's got a lot of uh, single track, but still smooth trails that are kind of you know like cyclocross. And they and they what's different from the U.S. to this is that it is a 3k circuit if you want to use it all although they all just you know do little drills within parts of it but it's marked you you walk in there and there's a big sign that says basically from september 30th until march 1 the area (laughs) that you are in is now designated for cyclocross so if you're walking your dog if you got your kid in a stroller whatever else in this area (laughs) You're not the priority. You know, there, there's going to be a guy yes. on a bike coming around a blind corner, and they basically have the right of way. This is, this is their home for now. So there are other trails, you know, in this campground. Go use them because this isn't where you really should be. And, and even, even to the point that, you know, we all have the issue with dog walkers, right? You know, there's always, mm-hmm. like, people walking their dogs, getting pissed off at people riding their bikes. And I know, like, in D.C., we had that issue with where we practiced, where there was no rule against riding bikes on the grass. There was a rule about having your dog unleashed, but somehow we were in the wrong. Yeah, right. So... None of that happens. There's an enormous dog park there in the woods. It was amazing. Some of the sweetest dogs I've seen, all these great German shepherds and Malwas and all this kind of stuff. So uh, all of that is taken care of. And it's all – everybody's happy with the situation and everybody knows what's going on. You know, you walk in and there's uh, a, a big, um, uh, like, billboard of the track this is what it is. Here's the start and finish. Here's exactly where the cyclocross track goes. This is where the training's happening. Like, it's just transparent. Everybody knows what's going on. And that's, I think that's what, what makes it special. It's not necessarily the terrain, which is great or anything like that. It's just that this is not, <laughs> this is not a, cyclocross is not a pejorative. It's okay to do it here. We like it. We love it. We want to see the, these, you know, people do well. There, there are, you know, you get the, the old guys walking around just wanting to check out practice, you know. So, so it's you even get you know a little handful of fans in there. So, yeah, it was it was really cool. It was great that um, the our Devo riders were able to get that experience. Uh, it was great that I think just from their racing in the two races that they've done so far that. It wasn't like uh, the Lions were, um, you know, giving school kids a, a, a cool experience. It's like they were training together. You know, there was right. there was respect across the board. They were going hard. Nobody was, like, getting dropped out of drills or anything like that. So for, for our guys, it was great that they were able to get that experience and then also get that acceptance and be in there and be like, yeah, this is, this is something we could do. So I'm always curious, like, how does it work with the pro teams – are they doing, are they like literally doing drills? Is Sven nice saying, we're going to do this, you're going to come here, do that, that? Or are they doing hot laps? Like, how does it, how does it work on a Wednesday there? Yeah. So what I was able to experience is, yeah, they're doing, they'll, they'll come in there. They'll do a warm up, you know, big laps, uh, just warming up, sort of picking up the speed. Same time that the Lions were there, there was also a group of, um, Creelan, Fristads, and, uh, Alpes and Phoenix, no, what are they now? Alpes and Dasunic. Uh, Dekoinic. Kids together. Kids. <laughs> Athletes together. <laughs> so a group of them. So they they were both, both those teams were training as a group. They had their coach out there, Sven, and one of the other Lions coaches was out there. And it's, it, it, it's like a basketball practice or a football practice or whatever else. You know, you're there. They started out. They did their warm ups. They went back to the parking lot to the vehicles. They all lined up in a start grid, and they went out and they did like a hot lap or two, and then they broke it down. And there was just these tiny little circuits that are like you know do a really tight turn and then up this kind of sandy steep section. Do that, you know, whatever. Fifteen minutes of that go and then i think i I have the video on instagram they do this drill where again they would start and they had one group go and there was like a place that they went to and then you shouldered your bike and you ran up the the 
Sandy Hill. And then the next group did it. And then they looped back around and did it again. They did that drill for a while. And then they went off to the to the huge sand pit and did some drills there. And then they ended it up with this big, like really steep uphill grind. And they would do it. And then the challenge was they would just keep on doing it in easier and easier gears, which made it harder and harder to climb. And uh, yeah, that was kind of like how they finished finished the practice. And then you know, uh, the Lions all rode back to um, wherever they started from. You know, they didn't drive to the park, and we got back into the vehicles and went home. But, yeah, it was, it's, it was a structured practice with coaches there, kind of, you know, the uh, free stats guy had a stopwatch out, you know, and was giving people time splits and everything. So, it's yeah, it's just, you know, there's no messing around. They're 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 there to do the training and and it's uh it's super pro. That's that's really cool. That's something I always wanted to do at our cross practices was actual drills and not just like barriers or remounts dismounts, but these sort of the two two things together, like dialing something together, dialing in a turn, dialing up a uphill bank. But it was it was always a hard to sort of like get a bunch of a, essentially adults and be like we're going to do drills as opposed to like. Let's just do hot laps for half an hour. But uh, well, that, that's, that's really cool to see. Yeah, no, that's I, I had the same issue when I was running practices, and I, you know, it was basically this mandate that then turned into a second day of practice. I'm like, guys, we're not just going to come out here and do mini races. We're not doing hot laps. Where people are out here to kind of learn how to do this, and they want to practice skills. So we would sit there and do starts and do carries and do do this kind of the transitions from one skill to another. And then, you know, you'd always get these dudes about 30 minutes, 20 minutes in, who were like, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's do some hot laps. And I'm like, no, go, go do your own practice. You know, I mean, that's not, it's not, we can make do a couple at the end, but that's not what we're here for. And yeah, it's, I mean, that's just on the amateur club level. And when you get to the pro level, it's, it's, it's kind of that, uh, nice, you don't have to think about it. You're you're being told what to do. It's like we're doing this, and then we're doing this, and then we're doing this, and you really don't have a say in it. And that's kind of because you know you're you're getting paid to do this. So go out there and do what we think's best for you. So that's you know that's the difference. But that's the difference between pro and amateur. Anything, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that's that's their job, and they've got to. And the, and those are those are such the things that make that difference, right? That sort of that able to do those slight skills give you such a big advantage over it people who just have power which is sort of when you see you know the roadies or the gravel riders maybe just try to jump in across and you're just like yeah you can go fast in the straights but once it's that off camber a uh, dismount you know remount that's where the gaps are made yeah and it's also you do this enough and you do it with fast people enough and it just becomes second nature and they're not thinking about anything i mean they're they are doing drills but the drills are out of speed and in conditions that look like a race and that's you know it's always practice how you race and that's this definitely was illustrative of that but yeah and it's something that you know you've always heard about and it's it was it was great to actually see it in person and and you think about what the differences are between north american and belgian cyclocross and and that's one of them and that's not to say you know i know there are people that have really great practices in the u.s but this is something that's just like almost institutionalized and and a system that they know works you know and it's on wednesday and it's the perfect time in the week to be able to put in that hard training there and then you know do whatever other efforts you need to do for the rest of the week to get ready to race on the weekends yeah very cool that's gone so i'm so stoked that you're able to go there and share those videos. It was it was really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that was uh, that was kind of like the weekend in between. Uh, so that was after Tabor and uh, <laughs> before Rudavorda and Mas Mechlehen. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you pronounce uh, that one. Yeah, it's 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 been kind of funny. Like the the, the biggest one because I know our our now you know mystery people over at uh um clam bitch and means had the had the friends uh one of uh pronouncing it tabor and uh you know instead of tabor which i'm still thinking like everybody in north america still gets it wrong because 
And even if you see it, see, the problem is all the accents get stripped out on all the startlets and everything you say, but there is like an accent over that A, meaning ah. that first syllable should be emphasized. But it's really hard to change from, you know, you want to say Tabor, where it's actually Tabor. Tabor. But, yeah. <laughs> I'll just say it fast. Um, do we go to Tabor? What do you want to do next? We get this. Yeah, let's stuff do it. Happened. Yeah, yeah, no, let's let's uh, let's talk about that race because I think that you know it's it, it's one of these things that you know it's nice to have a little different perspective. You know, you and right. I both got very different Tauber experiences, <laughs> uh, it, and it's it's something that I mean, where, when you look at it, and, and I know we've talked about this. This is so it's uh, you know I'm, I'm biased in how I say this, but but when you look at that course and you look at the venue and everything you know and you've seen all of these different venues across the world i mean what's your what's your initial thought about about that race you know tabor i always think that it's 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 not i don't think of like any defining features i think of sort of like a wide open sort of bowl-shaped course um with you know to me it's actually it's like the, one of the very first Euro races I watched, so it always has a special place. But I don't, I don't think of it like it's not an Amur or it's not a Koppenberg. There's nothing like super steep or like crazy about it. But it has nice sort of Euro turns and like, you know, the light up billboard, you know, barriers. So I think it's, I like it, but, you know, it seems sort of flat-ish kind of. I don't know. Like it doesn't seem too crazy, but yeah, I, it's I, not. I, I think that's, you know, I, I do think, what you're saying is is a great point in that so many venues that we go to, and this even happens in in the U.S. It happens in Fayetteville with the the drop. There's are usually these features that you just get these bunches of people like standing on top of or standing near, like at the moor, like the uh, the off camber and and trying to figure out how you're going to ride this or even people having a little trepidation about riding it at all and being a little scared of the feature you know up and down the the scale and there's nothing like that here there there's nothing that you you know you and i wouldn't be able to jump on this course and ride a lap no problem you know it it's not it's not beyond our skills uh What's beyond our skills is to be able to do it at a speed that you're competitive. And that's the, the, the part of this venue and this track that I don't think you get to appreciate on TV because it does. It looks kind of flat. I mean, you said bowl. It's more like an amphitheater. So you have the track and the baseball diamond and uh, the kind of the infield at the bottom and then up from that is just a big hill so it's just like one kind of hill down to the down to the start line so if you're going to the start and you go around that turn and they're sprinting down the road and they're doing all that stuff on those little little mounds and um the little off camber near the scoring box that's all on one side of the track, and that's all pretty much in a relatively flat area except for those little off-camber spots. And then once they cross the road and go to the stairs, then it's like a completely different venue. Then it is – everything is on a hill. Like there is – other than the uh, stretches across the pit rows, nothing is flat on that side. Everything is either up, down, or off camber. And that's what makes this race really fun. I was talking to Ian Ackert, who got sixth place in the, uh, no, fifth place in the junior men's race. And he was describing it as it's just, it's, it's interval training. You are doing a series, like six or seven 15 second sprints and then recovering, and then doing it again, and then you get to that front side, and then you get to fully recover. But on that hillside, it's just like sprint, recover, sprint, recover for the whole race. And that's that's kind of what, what you have to be able to be good at, and not everybody is, to succeed at this race. Yeah, I mean, so you you have a great blog post uh, at cxharris.com, and you talked a bit about 
the steepness and the how you can't see it on camera. And so I watched the race again last night and I was like, okay, like if you're actually kind of looking for that, you can see, oh yeah, everything is sort of up and down. Um, and so you see like they get after the barriers or after the stairs, they remount and they get on their bike and they're going pretty slow. And that's because it's actually pretty steep and the camera flattens a little bit with foreshortening. So yeah, that's, it's great to have that insight of having you on the ground and sort of it gives me a new appreciation for Tabor. Tom. Yeah. So, so again, you're looking, I, you were not going to get it right. You know? I know. Even that's though I try, like, I know how to pronounce it properly, but I still, I still get it wrong 80% of the time. I apologize. Uh, so I think the planks, you know, and I think at least I obsess about that, that plank section because it truly is the, the feature on that course. And you're right. So the camera, the main camera, which is a great angle, but it's on a, it, it's on a, a, a platform, you know, about five feet, six feet off the ground at the very top of the hill. So you get the hill and then you even get higher and then they're shooting down onto the planks. And the first thing that this does is that before the first plank is an even steeper, like 30 foot kicker, you know, just one of these little like, ugh, to get up. And I was looking at it this morning just to confirm from the camera, you can't see that at all. Like, you don't even see the ground. You see them appear, and it just looks like they ride straight up to the planks, and you don't realize how hard it is just to get to that plank section. So that would be, you know, I was saying no one's stopping and sessioning. That was the one place where they people would because they would go back right around that turn and try to get up enough speed and get the right angle to where they could really just propel themselves up that kicker, have enough momentum to get over the first plank if you're riding, and then just keeping the momentum. And I think that's the really hard part. And, I, you know, and we saw people get it wrong throughout the day. It's that second barrier that's a real issue. You, you know, usually when at this point, everybody is so proficient in riding planks that when they're able to do it and that things are spaced out correctly, they're losing zero momentum. They're over the first boom, over the second boom, and it's you know it's just really, really smooth. Like this, just having that elevation change right, severe elevation change right before the first one and then still having to go uphill through the second one, it's being able to be strong enough to keep your momentum through that second one. And we'll talk about it. You know, we'll talk about the uh, Pook in the women's race where, you know, she was borderline keeping that momentum, but it still it still worked out in that in that final lap. But that's that's like that's the part of this race that is just really cool to watch. And it's one of those things you see it live and it's just a completely different story than you see on TV. You know, it, it makes much more sense with last year's race when I think it was Van Tornout was able to ride away from Ailey on after the second plank when both of them were riding it. It's because, I mean, I just think he had that power advantage and was able to get back on it and just accelerate where Ailey was having issues. I mean, that wasn't the case this year, but it, it, when you saw it in the past, it looked like, was there not, you know, traction where he was going? Was he picking the wrong line? It's like, no, it's just like all out. I'm stronger than you and I'm able to ride this faster. And that's, that's, that's cool to see, you know, and you don't get that really watching it on TV. Well, I mean, let's talk about the women's race. Cause you know, that was sort of the spot that kind of was like, will the, you know, will the barriers be defining one of the defining moments in the race and puck puck? Sure. She tried, uh, she definitely tried to make it uh, work, but it didn't, was not uh, able to go her way. I mean, I think the big story with the women's race starting was that Brand crashed and broke broke a bone in her hand, so was not in the race. And yeah, day was before. Like, so in in her recon, she crashed, right? Yeah. And so the question was like, how is that going to change the dynamics of the race? A lot of talk, even on the live stream. Marty was you know talking about how things are different. You know, I heard other prognosticators, you know, saying that there wasn't brand there to really inject pace into the race and so we had sort of a group racing i mean at some point like i think lap two 
lap three, there was 13 riders coming together across the start line. Um, so my, my thought was, yeah, Brand wasn't there to sort of just go and drill it. Femme, we learned after the race that she said her legs weren't feeling good, still feeling jet lag. So she never really went to the front. She kind of had like one match she used at the end, and it was it was great. She won. Uh, Puck tried to drive it a few times. But my question is that, you know, it seemed pretty dry. And a dry Tabor is harder to get gaps on some of these features, which allowed the the big feels to stay together and it reminds me of i think i don't know if it's 16 set maybe it was like 18 there was a one year where okay it's two questions first set of stairs has that always been there goes up first set of stairs and then they go they make a right and there's a slight incline was that first set of stairs always there was that just dirt before I, i i'm not sure i always remember the stairs being there Okay, um, so, so I just I'm remember sure one they... year they they went up that and they went to the the slight incline and it was in shadow and it was just like Rochester day two where it was you know Benny Hill level of like chaos where they could not get up that hill gaps opened like that's it that's the big gap front group makes it through to you know this race I was wondering because it was so dry there was none of that happening anywhere on the course because there's none of those features you say that you session. So you can stay together. Um, and I was wondering if maybe that was more of the issue of why there are so many people as opposed to brand not being there to, to drive it and make gaps. Yeah, I don't it's it, it's hard to say, you know, it, it is is brand going to be that kind of uh, force and that that group leader that she has been in the past. I think that's kind of to be determined too. You know, I think what, you know, we're all talking about seeing this changing of the guard at the front. So who knows? I'm sure she would have pushed the pace, but does it work? You know, you got people like Pook who are now showing up and she was one who was willing to go out front and push the pace for a lap or two. And I think that as young as she is, Femme Van Empel is already kind of the boss of that field. And she, she, she sort of put herself, uh, there was a time with like two to go into one to go where she was sitting fifth in that group. And we always talk, you know, historically about that fifth spot. That's where Sven would always sit. He'd just sit in that fifth spot. You know, Niels Albert, when he's feeling good, he would just sit in that fifth spot. Vanderpool would do it too. And she's just, I don't know what it is about the fifth spot. I don't know if it means anything, but it just, to me at least, it sticks out. And when I saw her there, I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is the new boss here. And and she's kind of got, exactly where she wants to be and you're right you know she, maybe she wasn't feeling perfect but for somebody that young to not feel perfect and still know tactically i just need to be patient and sit yes. in and and wait to to use what limited matches i may have and she just you know played it perfectly i think uh but going back to your point about the mud the one section i think that we saw last year or maybe the year before was the that I was obsessing on watching it yeah. on TV was was the light post. The light post in yep. the in that that swell sort of that the you know back ditch, and forth trench gully. area yeah. that got really muddy and it was it was still a little slick and people were sliding around in there but definitely not the factor that it had been in the past. And it you know I mentioned it in that blog post. It took me because you're, you're so obsessed with staying on the hillside. I mean, that's where all the people are. That's where all the action is, you know. And I kind of forced myself to go to the other side because there is cool stuff over there to to see what was going there during the race. But it's definitely, you know, you, you feel like you're alone over there. It gets really lonely really fast. <laughs> and when I was over there, I was like, oh, wait. There's that section that that <laughs> I was just like <laughs> obsessed with last year that I didn't even realize was at this course, and I went over there, so I you know shot it for a little bit and was able to see it. And uh, as much as the planks come across as much more in person than what they look like on the broadcast, that sort of trenchy swell area, complete opposite. It is like it's not very long. You know, it's, it's one of those things that the camera really does the opposite to it. It sort of like stretches it out where it's uh, 
it's kind of they're through it not too quickly. The light post is there, but it's like you know you got to. I think it was Alvarado. You know, I mean you got to screw it up pretty bad, and it was slick yeah. to 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 run into that thing. And it was just kind of funny. It was like man, this was something that looked so cool and such a such a a meaningful part of this race that I even forgot was there this time. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. It was it it was it's such an odd little feature because it seems like not a lot not much of anything um but like last year it was something and this year they had the gopro there i think like or they had the steady the stationary cam there like considering like thinking it might be something but it it, it wasn't so yeah but i'm glad you went and checked out you know one of our favorite spots yeah exactly you know yeah and then you know when we talked about that that last lap was it was a really exciting women's last lap i think you can actually if you watch if you haven't seen the race you know it's worth watching the whole thing but if you went and just saw the free youtube highlights the five minute youtube highlights i think they they sort of give you that whole flavor of what's going on in there and again it it looked like it could have come down to the planks we're talking about riding those and pook was able to successfully ride the planks in the last lap and just one more note about them that i know people probably know and you can see it in all the photos they're not traditional planks. They're right. They're 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 these blinky LED planks, and to have all the electronics in there, they're actually about ten inches wide on top. And it's like like Lars Vanderhaar was using it as right. a true like steeplechase hurdle. Like he was stepping <laughs> on top of the plank every time over, which was just hilarious and just sort of like I'm... propelling himself over. And. Uh, and she, uh, but in this final lap, Luke was able to, you know, she went a little sideways, but she was able to successfully get over that second one and then just put in a huge, you know, push on the pedals, which propelled her out out to first. And she got about, I'd say, a bike length or so gap. And Femme was able to recover a little bit and get there. Uh, but it, it in another time, without somebody as strong behind her, I think that's the winning move. And it was it was great to see, and it was great to see in that in that women's race. Right. So it did become tactical, and it was something. It was an advantage, and it wasn't just sort of like something to do. It was a it was a race race move. Race race. Uh, I'm not a what do you call it? A basketball move? No, a football move. I don't know. It was a race move. It was a, a cyclocross move, and uh, yeah, Femme sort of. We actually missed. Uh, Jan pointed this out, Bolton subscriber, that uh, the broadcast missed Femme's last attack. I kind of understood why, because the story was, oh, are the chasers coming back? And they were able to sort of uh, tilt up and catch Voss and Denise chasing. So, yeah, there's a story there. But that's right when Femme put in her move after she caught uh, Puck and she stays away. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was a good lap. And, you know, just briefly last week, Zach and I were talking about tactics, and it w- it was pretty hilarious to see once again Denise brought Denise brought did she bring up worst to the front group again? Oh no 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 Denise chased down the front group um, and chased down her teammate. But it, it, in this case, it kind of made sense that she would she would try to close the gap to the front group. But anyway, um, I'm really glad you caught that photo of Lars stepping on the barrier because you you're not you're right there you do see how big it is and you do see that it is steeplechase for him i kind of laughed at that photo too because i when i was framing it i didn't i didn't give enough headroom for it so i have like other photos like it's so fast going through there and you're just you know throwing your camera at it and so for a couple people before him, like the whole the whole head's chopped off, and then for him, it's like he's squeezing into a box, and like his head like fits almost perfectly into the top of the box. He just got so small on that on that barrier, which was was just amazing. Uh, final notes, I think on the on the women's race, um, impressed with you know I, again you talk about how Femme played that. I think that uh, Blockovash was a motivator in that. She was going to the front. She was trying to push the pace, you know, maybe still still looking for that last 10 minutes of um, power for her until she's at the front going for the win. And yeah, I think Amory worst, you know. I think we're still out of out of that trio 
that we had seen, you know, when we had Alvarado and uh, Worst and Brand always fighting for those wins, I think that um, Worst is kind of doing the best of that of that pack right now and looking really good. So it's, I think, you know, from the injury issues she had in the past seasons and everything else, it's it's pretty cool to see her fighting fighting for that top again. Right, yeah. Um, Alvarado had a had a couple dabs. Just really, it seemed like kind of took her out of the race. Couldn't quite hold on to that front group. Um, yeah, first. Well, I was gonna say first. First nine were Dutch, but Blanca Bosch uh, breaks it up in, as a Hungarian in the fifth place there. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Men's race. I look. I don't know. I, I, again, you know, we talk, we do this a lot on this podcast where people think we talk about the men too much, or then we talk about the women too much, and I think that we're we're pretty uh, egalitarian in that. If it's a good race, we'll talk about it. If it's just kind of like a a race, it is what it is. And you know, I think you you when we were talking about this before, kind of summed it up. It was pretty much just pack racing, and then. Uh, on the steps, Lawrence got it a little wrong, held everybody up. Ailey took advantage of that, got a couple seconds gap, and that was kind of it. Yeah, that that was it. I mean, you know, I said uh, Sweek had been chasing earlier. You know, Sauces were doing a little bit of a one-two Mikey V at the front, so LA, LA doesn't chase, so Sweek has to chase. And he did a couple laps at the front, really trying to chase him down, brought him back. So by the time LA gets a gap, Sweek chasing again just doesn't doesn't quite the legs and uh lars lars is there comes around gets second um yeah i think one of the the biggest things to me once again was we had these this huge group so actually the starting list was pretty small for the men's race it was 35 i believe um let me just check here so yeah 35 riders in the men's race i'm assuming that's because you had a u23 and then you had a junior field little bit different than at Fayetteville or just the men's junior so that broke up the field yeah so like the women you're combining the U23. women's elite and the u23 elite in the same field so right yeah. so just a little bit smaller but at, i mean like at some point i mean there was like 20 riders coming across uh the start finish line it was like it was pack racing which is 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 kind of cool to watch uh because it's like it gets really messy and you're like anything can happen anything as in like someone bobbles and then ellie's you know accidentally in 10th wheel and he has to open and close a gap but yeah it's at one point i made the joke that like you know stebar was in the front group of 25 you know <laughs> like, so yeah n- not much more to say you know than than what we said about this race i think once again i i do think the dry conditions made it be such a gi- giant group um you know at some point like you had ryan camp like coming from the back of 20 riders to like launch off the front which you don't see that that often and then made me sort of wonder what's the largest sprint finish in a cyclocross race like i i i don't know how to check that but like i'm sure five you know but like has there ever been a group of 10 like does anybody know, any of our listeners know, what's been the biggest group for the sprint for the win in a cross race? It'd be kind of funny to check that one out. Yeah, I, I can remember some big packs, but you're right. You never, you're never getting like a 10, 15, 20-person pack coming in there. and It'd be, it'd be wild, wild setting up like team trains in there in that final right. uh, stretch. And uh, this, this race, too, had a, had a legit finishing stretch it was nice and long and and straight enough to we actually saw some some people come around for sprints in the uh, other other categories not necessarily for the win but you know for the for second or third uh so it was, it was cool that 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 opportunity existed at this at this venue you you mentioned uh Stibar in there being up there i i cause that was that was actually a cool part about being there in person as well you know who knows how many more races the guy's gonna do and he's definitely uh not at a competitive the same competitive level that he was in his prime but you know on as Jens Decker was pointing out on the sand tires on basically file treads out there uh, which was 
seemed kind of nuts, but still finishing 17th. And, you know, I, I, I got a few photos of it and talked about it in that, in that uh, blog post that I wrote. Just, you, I, I mean, the love for that guy and just the fervor and the enthusiasm. And I, I have not seen a race. I think Ethan uh, Glading got a nice photo of it. Um, have a, a few too of him him getting pushes out there left and right if he didn't if he wanted them or not like when he was coming up from the stairs and he was coming up from the the planks and was up near the barrier i mean it was just like he was just being literally propelled by the fans just like hands on the back just pushing him up the hill it's just oh crazy God. and everybody phones out and just screaming it was like yeah it was it was the most excitement you're ever going to see for a guy fighting for top 15 Right, and that's, you know, I don't, is it like that in, in Belgium for Ellie and, and Mikey and Sweek? I mean, I know that they, obviously, they've got their fan clubs, but it's interesting to how someone like Stebar gets that much. I mean, maybe because it's because the country is not, it's not a lowlands country, so it's a little bit, like, special. I don't know, like, he was three-time world champion. But there are there are I can tell you uh, having uh, been at a race that was one of Wout's first races back after right. going to the road, and even the interesting one was Floaty Cross. Having seen Floaty <sighs> Cross, the Belgian National Championships live, that Lawrence Sweck won. Yeah, and Sweck won, but after the race. There was a mob around Wout, and then people were, like, happy for Sweck. And during the race, it was just it, – it was the same. That was – that's a that's a good point because that's the, that's, that's the only place I've really seen that same atmosphere and sort of that same fervor for one rider. Wout, Wout gets that same same level that uh, Stiebert yeah. did. Yeah, and I'm sure Nyes did as well. Yeah, it's just – it's, it's yeah. interesting to see what it is that – that takes a rider to that level. But it's also, I think that that when I saw Wout in that race and Stiebar coming back to this race are similar circumstances. Got it. Wherein it's not seeing him week in and week out. It was a special occurrence. It was okay. something that you know, you know, isn't happening every week. And with both of those riders, even though Wout says he's racing cross this year, you don't know when it's going to happen again. You know, they both kind of kind of moved on. You know, Wout's still at the top of his career, but he's definitely got different goals now. And uh, Stibar is kind of starting to wind things down. So I think in both of those instances, it's super special and you get that same, that same enthusiasm. But what I also and it was kind of like you know you don't want to read anything into anybody's actions, but even Stebar at the end of the race, you know, just took his time finishing. You know, even from like a hundred meters out, was giving high fives, waving to everybody, just almost personally acknowledging people in the crowd as he came over and just took his time. Yeah, you know, which is like you look at it, you can look at it like oh this guy's ego, but it's not it's not like that at all. It's more like. He knows the part that he plays, and he knows yeah. how important he is to everybody there. And he's he's kind of you know giving sort of th- that that fan service, and that's that's kind of cool. And it's kind of cool to see in the sport that that's that that brings that out. So that was that was kind of neat too. Yeah, I mean, you you, you should, someone like Steve R should relish in that. I mean, it's thinking about his career and his you know three three time world champion cyclocross goes to road. I mean. I can't top I know he's won a classic or a semi classic. Um, you know, but not not that level of success that winning in, in Cyclocross, winning three world championships. And he he's it's almost like you know, someone's gonna kill me for saying this, but he's like toiled a bit in obscurity at at quick step for a bit these last few years. Just kind of like, you know, he's got big stars in that team and like it's it's at the twilight and yeah, like Take advantage of it, man. You've done some things, but you were a good rider and, you know. Yeah, well, it, the hard thing for him is that he's a Czech guy trying to find success in two now extremely, on the men's side, Belgian sports. Cyclocross, it's a, 
it's an individual affair. He was able to go out there and win these world championships because he was the strongest guy and he was the best skilled mm. guy out there. And yeah. he, you know, there was nothing any team manager or teammates or anybody else could say was going to stop him from winning those as opposed to Tora Flanders and Harry Roubaix and everything else. And as much as the Belgian fans want to accept him as one of their own, which I think they did, he's still not Belgian. And if you're on quick step, you know, you're not going to be the first guy on the call sheet, no matter how strong you are. You know, you got to have those those opportunities where somebody else falters, which I think he kind of had at some points. But I think there were also these classics where he was kind of told to, to hang back, you know, and I think he, he was frustrated by it. So it wasn't – I don't think you can look at his road career and say this is a guy that never achieved his potential. I think that he was a great team player and always – played that role and played it to the top but was never really given the opportunity to to shine in the classics like I mean I don't know where I don't know where you go to be able to do that because you need you still need a strong team but I think that yeah if he's if he's a different nationality maybe he has a couple couple bigger classics to his to his CV right and I know listeners are screaming um he won Strata Bianca in 19 he won E3 in 19, second at Perry roubaix twice, second at E3, Hollabaca. So funny thing, he's at, I didn't realize this, he's going to Team Bike Exchange next year. So no longer will be on Quick Step. Um, yeah, no, I knew it. Yeah, he was, yeah. He, he, I think that he even, he even mentioned that this is the last couple of months have been really hard because he didn't didn't know what was going on. And, uh, yeah. you know, so at least he has a, has a plan now. Probably will be his... Assuming that'll be his final seasons, but yeah, again, just great experience to be able to to see him out there and racing. It's always fun. So speaking of superstars, I mean, our U.S. national champion Clara Hansinger went over to Europe after Fayetteville, but she chose to race in France uh, and racked up two victories. I guess we're both races at Nome. Um, yeah. Yeah, very American very American affair. <laughs> go go race the same course twice, you know. Yeah, she won and her teammate, let's see, Zoe Backstead, who we're excited to see on the same team racing cross together, got I think it was on day two, um, got second. So yeah, a lot of speculation sort of all in like online in the in the in our on our bulletin on a Slack, like, you know, she went to Europe, didn't go to Tabor, um, but as you said, Bill, you kind of understood it. I mean, also, my take was like she uh, had a pretty good Trek Cup. Um, not a great uh, weekend in Fayetteville with some incidents and crashes. Not the probably the best results. Go to France, rack up a couple dubs, get ready to defend your uh, title at Koppenberg. Kind of maybe travel a little bit less. Makes sense. I I think that that Clara's goals again being on EF she had a big road season right and she was doing a lot of work on the road that and it's cool to see her on a world tour team and being able to have those opportunities I think she still will say you know I think she has said that cyclocross is her first love but it ain't the money maker, right? You know, it's it's not. You know, it's great that EF allows her to do this. It's great that they're really committed to cyclocross now. That she's got Zoe as a as a teammate, and Zoe also, you know, coming off of COVID and coming off of winning like every world championship out there, <laughs> is still sort of getting back to form. And yeah, I, I I made the point without specifically saying Clara, but it was you know it was it was wasn't that veiled that I was talking about her is that. Going, going to the Czech Republic for one World Cup is a pain in the neck. You know, it, it was a for us coming from Izegem, and you had to go. We had to go through Brussels, and then all the way through Germany, and then to Czech. It's a fourteen-hour drive. I mean, you can fly there, and it's not as bad. But you know, it, it, your resources still have to drive there. You can't show up without you know 
a, a van and all your bikes and all the gear, cyclocross has a lot of stuff. So if you didn't want to make that investment of two days of travel for one race when you're still building your form, I, I, I don't understand how anybody could question that. You know, it, it seems perfectly reasonable, you know, doing if, – if the World Cup – she's not going to race the whole World Cup season. If that's not your goal right. – then, then why why go to this one, which may be the biggest hassle of the year, other than possibly Italy? You know, everything else is pretty reasonable to 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 get to. So, yeah, I I don't <laughs> that that anybody could criticize her for skipping this race seems seems absurd to me. It it doesn't it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, and it's also if you have world championships as your ultimate goal, then. These these don't matter, you know. I, I I think that everybody wants to see Tom Pitcock race, but I don't see the same like, oh well, he's he's in Europe. Why isn't you know? Of course, he was in California, so <laughs> yeah. <it> kills that <laughs> argument. <laughs> but the same thing. It's like he's and now I mean, talking about Pitcock, you know, just today with the with the Tour de France announcement coming out of the of the route, and you know, hearing that this is he's really contemplating going for a run at the Tour de France and mentioning not really sure when he's going to race cyclocross. I it's it's right. kind of it's kind of kind of sad for us, but it's it's it, I don't think anybody is is questioning it, right? You know, I want to see it and I think I I raised the question to you, what is the, you know, I I'd love when when people are looking for the biggest group finish in a cyclocross race, the other thing I want to know is the least amount of times that somebody has worn the rainbow jersey in the in the season cyclocross is so weird in the season yeah. following <laughs> when they won it right so not not counting like you know you win the world championship and then you're just doing a slew of races right after that in february and march that's one thing I want to know, like, that next season. Like, you're already right. in your road season, and then that next season, what's the fewest number? I want to say, like, Talita Young might have been one. That was but, my first thought. Yeah, Talita. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not sure. I, I, I have a feeling she raced more than we think, but yeah. I don't know. I think we looked yeah. it up, too, and I was like, oh, actually, yeah. she had <laughs> Yeah. I would discount that. Yeah, and, and interesting. Speaking of you know former world champions, um, Voss raced, made her debut at the night race. Uh, I saw PFP was on the start list for Euros, but now is scratched. Um, so some of the some of these the Galacticos, to borrow a term from the cycling podcast, are are coming back or sort of cert- this there are sharks that are circling the CX. A tank and, and thinking about racing again. So, uh, yeah, Voss, Voss, Voss will be at Euro. So good to see her back in the mix with the uh, rest of the crew. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, Dutch gravel champion, right? That's right. That's not, I feel like, you know, there was a lot of shade thrown at the UCI gravel worlds. Not seen a lot of shade thrown at the Dutch gravel national championships. She's got the jersey, another jersey to add to her add to her collection. Uh, and speaking of gravel champions, I was so the um, uh, Ardoya race that we went to before Tabor. Um, it's very small race. It, very small for Belgium race. There were probably two thousand people there. You know, right. if not more watching it uh it was it was kind of fun for a very neighborhood feeling to it a lot of people i think in their 60s 70s and 80s kind of like wandering around the course taking it in it was just amazing it was uh super cool to, to see but when they were doing the podium presentations they brought on a local dignitary hero who lives about 15 kilometers from that town Basically, the next big town over uh, is Yanni Vermeersch, world champion. They had a world champion at their race and gave him a bottle of champagne and shouted him out on the stage at a little presentation. It was it was super cool, you know. And yeah, kind of neat. It was kind of neat for Yanni too to sort of sort of be the be the guy for once instead of just working for the guy. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we need to ask, when's, when's Yanni coming back to cross, right? He's like, yeah. why does no one care about my cross debut? I'm a world champion. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and and I think that Alpecin is is sending people out there. They have two strong guys, you know, with Tone Vanderbosch and Niels Vandepota, but I I'll put my money on Yanni Vermeer over those two guys in a in a cross race. So he should be out there. He should be out there leading the charge for that squad. Yeah, and and speaking of that team, uh, Manerpol. I don't know any words about when he's really coming back. Wow, also wants to race cross, but sort of not. I'm, I'm assuming he'll he'll come back over christmas cross you know like that that's period we'll see wow for a little bit yeah but. speaking speaking of pfp I, I know she got scratched from euros but i i think she's still scheduled to race copenberg so we should uh oh really awesome yeah so we so i will actually get the opportunity to see her there that's uh we are hitting copenberg and then getting on the plane like hours later to head back to to race pan ams Okay, so you guys are coming back. I was wondering if if the the crew was going to make the trip. That that should be quite a journey. Um, yeah. So it it Copenberg's uh, on Monday. Copenberg's on Tuesday. Oh, Copenberg's on, on Tuesday. Friday. Everyone flies on Wednesday. So <laughs> you know we're able to change flight plans. So I'm still going. My car is at Dulles, so I'm still going to Dulles, but I'm, I'll be the only one. And then everybody else is heading to, I think, Boston. Sort of rerouted them up there, and then we got people driving up to meet everyone there, and then they'll just go straight to the venue from Falmouth without going home. Um, and then I'll just drive up on Thursday. Uh, yeah, but just had to redo those plans, and, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, we already got everybody's already got their uh, prepackaged Anne Marie Worst uh, jet lag um, <laughs> excuses <laughs> in the in their back pocket. But I don't. I honestly think that I, I, I I'm hoping that everybody will be able to put in put in good performances. You know, the Canadians that are over here. I've been doing some work for the Stimulus or Bea team, which is Ava and Isabel Holmgren, and then also Ian Ackert, who are having you know, great races out there. They're kind of in the same boat and they have to fly back to Montreal and then drive down basically the next day to get to, get to Pan Ams. So it's an adventure, all part of the adventure. Right. That's yeah. It's like a cross circus. Um, well, we, before we go, I think we should just at least, you know, give a shout out. We also had King CX this week, this weekend. Um, can we just, I think it has to be mentioned in case it's it's not out there. And this is this isn't a a negative, but it's 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 a we we talk about Curtis White all the time. We talk about how he's had this great career. He's still young, but and it's still building, and he'll get there eventually. On this one stat, tons of wins in the U.S. has never won a C one race, and uh, Drew Dillman. Taking the men's side at Kings now has more C1 wins than uh, Curtis White. So congratulations to, to to Dizzle Dillman on that that achievement. But, uh, yeah, inter- I mean, not the fields that we're used to seeing. You know, good competition out there. It's awesome that people showed up. Carol Manny is still just crushing it on the on the women's side. But not full fields. And I think that since he kind of fell into that, that week that – you just don't want on the U.S. schedule where everybody has just gone all out for the previous right. six or seven weeks and and they need a break. And that's when they're going to take it. And I think we're going to see even a little bit of that um, carryover to Major Taylor this upcoming weekend. They're just – it's just it's just really hard to have those those spots on the schedule. Um, you know, we ran into it at DCCX in the in the past, and it's just it kind of is what it is. Uh, and I know the promoters at both Kings and Major Taylor are like, "Hey, we're going to put on an awesome race regardless, and we're putting it on for who's here." And um, that's what they did, and it, it sounds like it was a, a really great time with a lot of a lot of good competitive racing. 
just not the full fields that we'll see until until we're back to Falmouth and and Pan Ams now. Right. I mean, and on the other hand, you know what? Like, it gives people. It changes the dynamic of the race. It sort of moves folks up, allows them to maybe be in a different position in the race and fight for a different spot, which is a great experience for everybody. And people are racking up UCI points and, uh, you know, getting those, getting sort of over the um, the COVID reset and adding some points back on the board. So, yeah. Congrats to Dillman and um, Caroline Mani. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then... Coming up, I guess we have a Ruta Vorda on Saturday for me, and then Mas. I can do this, Mas Mechlin. Okay, on the World Cup <laughs> on Sunday, uh, brand new, brand new World Cup. Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see. It's in this kind of this nature conservatory park. Uh, it looks really cool in the pictures. Uh, the track. It's really hard to tell. You know, you see those like little preview clips and I'm like, I don't know. Looks grassy. Yeah. Looks like little ups and downs. But who the heck knows what's going to go on with that course? Uh, I, I did see, you know, from Anna Meyerson and some other folks just sort of questioning how this becomes a World Cup after not being uh, the normal or anything like a C2 or a C1. And I understand that argument and appreciate it but at the same time the investment to be a world cup is huge and if i think at this point if somebody is willing to do that and to put up the funds and build all the infrastructure to meet the requirements i don't know i don't know how much shade i want to throw at them because they haven't had a race before i guess we'll see if it's good or if it's not maybe the uci should just get rid of these these rules you know they're, right. they're fine with getting rid of them for world championships i don't know why world cups should be any different yeah, just, yeah especially when you're sort of expanding the calendar to you know 14 this year 15 the year before it's like yeah. at some point you run out of places that have had events and you kind of have to just take I mean, they're they're right. taking the money from the event, and it's the- it's not fair, and it's biased, and it stinks that the UCI is the promoter of a series and also the governing body, and we've had that you know discussion before, and right. it's it's wrong, but it is it is the reality. So maybe so they're not gonna they're not gonna stop people from having these races. That's that's just it, you know. But I also think that uh, I was happy to see Ailey Ezerbeet kind of leading the charge, saying, "Hey." If you're going to make us do all these races and it's right. not something special anymore, it's not just eight out of the year, but it's like the majority of the season, you need to pay a start money. You know, that's the system that we worked under. That's the system that our contracts are based under. I saw some comment on Twitter where they're like, Ailey Beats team pays him all of his money to race these races. I'm like, that's not necessarily true. It's all – all these people, men and women, the most of them are working off of performance. Uh, you you have to perform to get paid, and part of that is if you're a top rider, you've earned the right to get start money at races, and that kind of helps you continue to be a professional. You, know, you can look back at Lawrence Sweck, who was genuinely upset. I mean, it was a huge hit for him that he won, like we talked about earlier, him winning that national championship in Belgium. That That's, that's usually kind of like winning the lottery a little bit. That sets you up for the next year. He won that. Months later, COVID hits, and the whole next season was wiped out, and he didn't get to take advantage right. of not only sponsorship opportunities from wearing that kit, but from the start money that comes along with it. Everybody wants that Belgian national kit in their race and they're willing to pay for it. And he wasn't able to take advantage of it. So that's kind of the system that's been built up for these riders and for the World Cup to be such a huge part of the season and not partake in that system, I kind of, I agree is, is wrong. You know, the, if we want them to, everybody to show up, then they should get this the same opportunities they do at other races. And I don't know if this leads to a rider revolt. I think that would be pretty big <laughs> for them to be able to organize and pull off. But yeah, it's something It's something to consider. Yeah. I mean, I'll say said it before. 
too many too many World Cups. Um, yeah, it just dilutes everything, um, and you're seeing that with two races in the states and big riders well, come and, over. And it dilutes it dilutes what what we want. We want the those World Cups in the United States to be important, right? Right. We want them to mean something. If you're having 14 or more races, it's really easy for people to say, eh, "I'll make it up." Exactly. I don't need to go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we should. I think we should get out of here. I guess I should go to work. Yeah. We're doing you a morning go to work. show again. I like morning shows. They're fun. I drink coffee. <laughs> I get hyped. Um, so, I guess. I guess I'll. I'll see you soon. I'll see you in Falmouth. Yeah, we'll see you up in Falmouth. Um, uh, it'll be good. It'll be good to uh, get our next episode, hopefully, with the three of us. Missed uh, Zach today, and um, yeah, that's that's about it. We'll see what happens this weekend, and I'll I'll report back on that. All right, have fun. All right, see y'all later. an elegance to bike racing. For all its technology and engineering, it's a simple question of physics. How do you move a body through space as quickly and efficiently as possible? When the rider and the machine work as one, it's almost as if the solid world has melted away and all that remains is the spirit, the pure, raw, and unfiltered soul of sport. Life is measured in many units, miles, kilometers, kilos, and pounds, but we measure it one corner at a time. We've entered the golden age of crit racing, the most exciting spectator event in sport, where all of human drama plays out before us on our city streets. On this show, we bring you the news of the day and take you inside the personalities of the teams and riders and right up to the gates of the premier events in the world. Welcome to Criterium Nation. Criterium Nation.